Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the podcast once again. My name is Mark Warner, along with Chris Lietza. We're going to have a pretty good show today. We're bringing in one of the editors from the Hockey Writers, Jeff Ponder. Um, he covers the St. Louis Blues for the Hockey Writers and has a lot of good insight on where they're headed this year. We're going to start right off. We're going to get around the league here. And uh, first thing, big news at the end of preseason, Rafael Torres gets handed down a 41-game suspension for just an erroneous, illegal blast to the head of uh, Jakob Silverberg there in the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, basically his first game back in a couple years after injuries, and he can't even get out of the preseason without cheap-shotting somebody. With, um, he's now the proud owner of two of the top ten longest suspensions in NHL history. And I just want to get Chris and then Jeff, your thoughts on, uh, you know, how, how, how long does the league have to go until someone who's just a habitual h- offender loses his right to be employed in the National Hockey League? Uh, Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, he, obviously his, his, he's got a checkered path, to say the least. Um, you know, it is amazing to me, you know, hockey players are known, and I think rightfully so, of, the, you know, the, the greatest guys in terms of professional sports athletes. But, you know, more and more uh, years past watching the games, I just see a lot less respect for each other on the ice. I get it. It's very competitive. It's, the teams are very close to talent. I get all that, and you should play hard. But, you know, uh, they should also be looking out for each other's health. I mean, you can hit someone legally hard, but these, these shots, these cheap shots to the head and, things of that nature. I mean, it is amazing to me that we don't have a bigger concussion problem in the NHL. We see what it's done in the NFL. Um, you know, players do get concussions, obviously. We can name a few. I mean, uh, for instance, uh, you know, Max Zuccarello is coming back from a horrific one for the Rangers. I mean, uh, in terms of the Rangers' success this year, to make sure he doesn't have a relapse. I mean, that's the thing about getting a nasty concussion. So uh, I think the league needs to you know, set the bar pretty high. And, uh, you know, it shouldn't take uh, a reputation of someone to get, you know, a lot of games lost. I mean, if you know, um, to me, you start be- behaving like that, especially talking about doing to someone, you know, something horrific. Someone's back to the board, you course-check them, or something that could cause a serious injury. Well, what, the, uh, Mar- the Mark Savard yeah. hit was... Uh... Right, his career pretty much ended from that, and I mean the Golden Boy Sidney Crosby got a couple uh, cheap shots in the head, missed missed the seasons. So, yeah, and yeah, so I, I'm all for you know. To me, I mean, they'll learn from you know. People will know, like if I do, you know, if I you know do this kind of act, and I'm in the first you know first go rounds, uh, let's say 15 games, not just 15 games lost. It's 15 games lost versus your paycheck. So uh, I, I want to start seeing. I want tough hockey and physical hockey, but I want it to be clean, if that makes any sense. So I, I want to see this this kind of shenanigans gone. What do you think? The more that the league, and I know politically, I'm probably in the minority in voicing this opinion. But what do you think? The more the league has has got rid of the enforcer type player, and I don't mean a goon who's going to skate around and cheap shot people. I just mean mean uh, uh, fighters that would follow the code, if you will. Um, the more the league's frowned on that, it just seems to me like the more uh, 
the goons are are freer to take those kind of shots. Um, I I know the big push is to get fighting out of the game and make it more marketable, but I just think if you have a John Scott or a, a George LaRock or a George Peros, you know, those kinds of guys, they may not add the skill level to the team, but the protection of the, the skilled players on the team, there's so much, so much legislation, if you will, against fighting and the way the league's trying to, to take that out of, the, of its image. It just seems like there's more of these cheap shots uh, and the lack of respect for the other players, like you said. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Well, I think, you know, the one thing I would say about that, back growing up and uh, following the Islanders, like they used to have a guy in their fourth line named Mick Fakoda, and he was basically a fighter. Um, but I look at the Islanders today, and they have, you know, Matt Morton on their fourth line, who's a really good, uh, an excellent complimentary player, I would call him, on their fourth line who played 12 minutes a night. He's not, not going to be a superstar player, but you know what? If shenanigans are going on in the ice, he's more than capable of sticking up for his teammates. And, you know, and I think most teams have two or three guys like that. Um, so, you know, this, the, you know, growing up watching hockey, it was a lot more of every team had a quote-unquote fighter, you know, kind of player where not a lot of great hockey skills, but, you know, could be out there for protection. Um, so if something does happen and someone's out of line, it's not like it's the, the, uh, the each individual team doesn't have someone to step forward. I mean, they usually have a number of candidates to kind of step forward and, uh, you know, say, say uh, that we're not going to tolerate that. Well, let me. Uh, yeah, you know, guys, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Here yeah, I was just going to bring you in. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. First of all, no, it's our pleasure, gentlemen. I'm all, always down for for talking hockey, especially uh, when it comes to stuff like this, the disciplinary stuff, because we all want to see the game grow, and we all want to see, uh, you know, our star player is able to play 82 games a season, and. And really, and I know that other people have, have argued this point in the past, and I'm definitely in the belief that if we get rid of the instigator rule, I think you will see these heads start going down. And, and for those that don't know, the instigator rule is if you go in with the intention of starting a fight, you are thrown out of the game and likely getting a suspension as well. Um, that, uh, to me, and, and it's understandable why it's there, because they're trying to get rid of fighting. But the problem is... This is allowing players like Rafi Torres to go out and, and lay out one of those nasty hits and get no repercussions from it except for from the NHL. If, yeah, Rafi Torres is going to lose a lot of money in this deal, and, yeah, he's not going to be able to play, but at the end of the day, he's still making a lot of money. He's, you know, in the, in the time of – and I play hockey. I've played hockey my whole life. When you're on the rink, you're not thinking about what's going to happen after the game. You're thinking – I'm going to do this right now, and immediately what's going to happen to me? Right at that moment when he hit Jakob Silverberg, nothing was going to happen to him because no one's going to go in there to start a fight and possibly get suspended. 100%. You get rid of that instigator rule, all of a sudden you've got guys, and I'm not saying this would bring back guys like Tony Twist or uh, even like George Perro. So, you know, you look at, and you know, we'll talk about my blues here in a little bit, but they got a guy on their team named Ryan Reeves who's a very good, skilled, fourth-line player that also can drop the mitts. So if something like that happens where Rafi Torres takes liberties on somebody, Ryan Reeves can jump right in and say, nah, not in my house. 
and take care of business. And I'm telling you what, if Ryan Reeves pounds on you a couple times, you are uh, not going to be taking liberties as much as you would without uh, with the instigator rule instituted. No, you know, 100%, that's exactly what I was alluding to when I was talking about legislating fighting out of the game uh, is the instigator rule and then adding the two minutes on top of the five and and for being the first one to drop. Um, I, I I agree with you 100%. The, the Rafi Torres... See, that, I, I like to draw a difference between the enforcer rule and a goon because... In my opinion, and and I don't know, whatever, uh, Rafi Torres is a, a goon. He's out there really for one purpose. And if you look at the San Jose Sharks blogs, they they talk about how he brings so much extra hockey skill to what he does, and he's a physical player, and once in a while he'll go over the line. Well, that's that's just that's just fanboy talk. Um, his his role on the team is to go out and cheap shot one of the other uh, one other team skill players. And like like your Reeves in St. Louis, uh, that's that. I think the fighting curtails that kind of stuff because as soon as he as soon as he did it, he wasn't looking around for someone to come jump him. He had the ref in his pocket. He was the ref had a hold of him. No, he he doesn't have any repercussions. He's going to sit out for forty one games, but he'll be back. Um, I'd I'd like to see it. Ha- I mean, it has increased as Chris was saying earlier. With the more legislation and rules put into curtail the fighting, the cheap shots and the and it is going to take some. I mean, look, Chris Pronger, uh, Mark Savard, those guys, you know, their careers were in were ended basically from cheap shots. And the 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 more you try and take the fighting, the enforcer role out of the game, I think the more you're going to see the goons uh, freewheeling freewheeling around the around the ring. I agree with you 100. percent Once again, we're talking with with uh, Chris Ponder. Or Chris Ponder, I said Chris Ponder earlier. Sorry, Jeff. Jeff Ponder. Well, he did. He he he's getting paid by the Phoenix Coyotes this year, right? Um, it, right. It, it, anyway, J- Jeff Ponder. You can follow him at uh, at Jeff Ponder ninety four at J Ponder ninety four on Twitter. He's a writer and editor for the Hockey Writers. Uh, great guy to have on board. We know he's he's taking time out of his day to to spend with us. So we appreciate what he's going to give to the show today let's let's move on last last night we uh we started our our regular season here for the 2015-16 and we got the new rules in place on coaches review and you know the very the first one mike babcock uh threw his challenge out there and won you know a little trivia question won the first coaches review on the goalie interference call um had a goal allowed that had or disallowed that had been allowed um Jeff, I'd like your opinion if you've seen any of the three-on-three or the coaches' review on the interference and uh, how you think that's going to be good, good for the game, bad for the game. What do you think? Well, first of all, I mean, I I was um, I'll make a quick point on three-on-three. I mean, I I was for it because I'm I'm all for getting rid of the shootout as much as we possibly can, and we we have to accept that it's going to be a part of the game because uh, just it's something the NHL's instituted that there are fans out there that enjoy. So I'm not going to say get rid of it, but if we can limit it a little more, I'm happy with that. But having said that, three-on-three to me is still a little gimmicky to me. Yes, it's more passing and back and forth and and finding the open guy kind of thing, which is hockey, whereas I don't believe the the shootout is is showing that much of the actual sport of hockey. But it is a little gimmicky. But 
it's it's one of those things where it's it's pick your poison. You know, would you rather have three on three? Or would you rather have shootouts every night? You know, in, in a game, in a night where there's three games, there's a shootout in every one. You know, I mean, it's, let's limit that as much as you can. So I'm I've I've come around on shootout, or I'm sorry, on the three on three. So, but as, as far as the coaching challenge, um, I, I like the coaching challenge. I think that there are certain plays where you know we see it all the time where. I mean, I think it was last year where there was a, a puck that went up and hit the, and I'm not saying that this is a reviewable play, but it hit the, the back mesh, popped down, hit the goalie in the back of the head and went in the net. I believe it was, it was Red lost. Wings and Kings. It was, it was, I'm a Kings fan. It was Red Wings Kings. Uh, that is now a reviewable play. If there's a question, right. the rule was instituted on that play where uh, the Kings were winning. Uh, with like 30 seconds left, and it was a deflected shot that went in off Jonathan Quick, and the Kings lost in overtime. But the the, uh, the it's now reviewable if a goal has entered the net in a legal fashion. I believe is the language they use to allow that to be reviewed. But go ahead. Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it's nice that there's the option now because before it was it's the referee's discretion. Well, now you can turn around the referee's discretion and. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and bash refs because it's a quick game and it's the quickest game there is, and you're not going to be able to get every single call right. So it's nice that the coaches have the option to say, hey, you know what? I don't think that was right. Let's see if we can get an overturn here. Now I will say that my only problem with coaches' challenge is I don't think it should be tied into the timeout. That's something that I'm guessing they were they just figured with the way the NFL does it. They're like, hey, this should be the same way for the NHL, so it's across all platforms. But I don't like that idea. I mean, if, if the so you're telling me that if the if the referee seems like he, you know, missed up the call, and it's just one of those things that go either way, and they don't know if they can overturn it. So with what the uh, uh, technology available, that they're going to say, okay, you lose your timeout, even though that was a 50-50 play. So you're telling me that that happens in five minutes in the first period. You have to go the rest of the game without having a timeout. I, I'm not a fan of that. If, if they're going to institute that, I would say let teams have two timeouts per game, so at least they can hold on to one in that event of the of an icing late in the game or, or whatever reason. Um, I think uh, I think timeouts are very valuable in the NHL, and I think you guys would agree with that. Yep. Uh, I just don't like it seeing possibly wiped away from a team. You know, possibly within the first minute or two of a game, when when you're really going to need it in the later stretches of a game, if you've got a close uh, score. No, I I agree with that. I love the idea of it giving the second time out, but only having one challenge available. Um, that would that would. I've always thought they should have a couple timeouts myself because it is way valuable at times in the game and could make a difference in the outcome of the game. But one thing one thing about the coaches review, Chris was worried about was was the the if it took too much time or or it slowed down the flow of the game and it seemed like they handled it pretty good chris i don't think you saw it but they had a tablet right there at center ice and they handed it out and the the two referees looked at the tablet watched a couple of the replays you could see them you know they're shaking their head and looking at the tablet and they handed it back and and they got it done pretty quickly it was uh efficiently and well handled so uh i don't think you saw it did you chris i didn't but that's great news because i just think about going, and I know the NHL has done a very good job on, black like term, instant replay or when they go to review something over video, 
since they've started doing this. I just, you know, if we go, those of us who are football fans, if you go back to the beginning of when the NFL was doing reviews, uh, video reviews, and we were waiting for 10 minutes. I, I you know, I, I think it's just got to be careful uh, with that. I mean, one, get the call right, but it should be like, go to the review, uh, you know, if it's an error, let's fix it. And if it's one of those things like, you know what, we can look at this from seven ways from Sunday. If we're not sure, um, then, you know, we're going to just have to stick with the call on the ice. I'd like to make a quick point uh, about the over, uh, the shootout and the three-on-three, if I may. Sure. Um, in my, my, I am in agreement with, with both you guys on it. The only thing is, um, in a perfect, it is, it is gimmicky, you know, three-on-three shootouts. This all goes back to, though, you know, the league, at the end of the night, wants to have a winner and a loser. They don't want to have ties anymore, which I can understand. And then the other part of the problem is they were getting overtimes that were not exciting. So, you know, if you had a team, let's say the Senators are going into Chicago, that's a tough game for them, and they hit overtime. They're like, you know what, guys, five minutes away, we're guaranteed a half a point. Uh, we're guaranteed a point. You know, half a loaf is better than than, than none. Uh, let's play defensively. Let's just put it go in lockdown mode, and then you have an uh, an overtime that's you know not a lot going on. So I understand why that, which kind of leads to we have to have a winner and a loser, and then we we've gone into these three on three shootout kind of situations. But I, I am in agreement. I the less shootouts, uh, the less shootouts, the better. But I mean, so I I understand where the league is coming from because uh, uh, it's not an easy problem to solve. Is, is my point because. I think at the end of the night, you go to a sporting event. You do. You don't want to. You want to say, "Well, who won? Well, no one won." I, 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 so I get that, you know. So I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, an interesting dilemma. But uh, I, I think the three on three hopefully will be better than the shootout this year. I think it will be. I think it will be. Well, let's let's wrap up. Uh, let's wrap up the the round the league segment and and segue right into some st louis blues talk i wanted to uh i wanted to just uh break the ice with with the blues first game of the season going up to edmonton and uh getting the getting first glimpse you know built-in trivia question who'd Connor mcdavid play his first game against would be the st louis blues um is there any buzz around the team or the fan base looking looking to see how Connor mcdavid plays Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's a big point in the city. I mean, ever since they uh, they first announced the schedule, uh, that was the tweet that was going around from Blues fans was, "Hey, we get to shut down Connor McDavid tonight. <laughs> he's going to play." So it's uh, it, it's a lot of a lot of people are uh, are interested in that, and um, I would I'm, I know the uh, it's going to be a sellout tonight, but I'm pretty sure they sold out uh, quicker than they usually do for uh, for the first home game. So. Yeah, fans are uh, they're buzzed about it. And they want to see that, and, and obviously the Blues have a couple rookies that are going to be uh, out there tonight. So um, the uh, the city is a buzz of, of the rookie talk uh, going around tonight in St. Louis. I wanted to get into some of the youngins, but first let's let's look back a little bit and uh, with the way the offseason went, the Blues lost one of their core players in T.J. Oshie and Barrett Jackman, who was the the franchise leader in games played also is not back, and the Patrick Berglund is starting the season on IR, I believe. Uh, but w- then, 
Then breaking news, guys signed Scotty Gomez the other day to go into the season, maybe take his spot for a little bit. But uh, Troy Brower comes in, Kyle Brodziak comes in, couple couple gritty, skilled players though. Still, they can still put twenty goals in, I think. Um, how do how do the new faces fit in, and how do the old faces that left affect the team going forward? Well, and I'll I'll say, I mean, I was a I've been a media member for the Blues for a little while now, and I've, uh, I've actually dropped out this year for uh, other reasons. But um, I uh, I will say that uh, I'm not going to sit here and bash TJ Oshie. There's a lot of people that love to do that, um, and but I will say it. It did seem like there was a slight disconnect between him and the rest of the players in the locker room. Uh, only exceptions being maybe the rest of the leadership group. Uh, he seemed to, you know, he was always good friends with Bargland and him and Bacchus always seemed to get along, both being U.S. Olympians. But, and I'm not saying anything negative about Oshi. I just think that there was, uh, there was just a, a personality conflict. You know, we've all had it at our jobs, I'm sure, you know, where, there's just somebody in the office that it's not that you don't like him, it's that there's nothing you can talk to him about. And that's the kind of fe- feeling I got from Oshie was I think he just didn't fit in the Blues locker room. And, uh, you know, making him a leader was, was supposed to kind of, you know, they gave him the A a couple of years ago, and I think it was supposed to kind of help that, and, and I really don't think it did. So, uh, you know, everyone got along. They're all good friends, I'm sure. I'm sure he's, you know, made sure to hold on to a couple of his old teammates' numbers to keep in touch this season, but um, I think he's going to fit in well with Washington. I think he's going to uh, really thrive there, especially when they go to the shootout. Uh, but the guy they got back, uh, Troy Brower, very excited to see what he's going to bring this team. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the skill, the skill difference between Oshie and Brower, but when you really look at what they bring their teams on paper, Brower really doesn't post points too much lower than what Oshie was. Uh, I think Oshie's best season, he posted either 60 or 62 points. Brower's best, he was right around the 50 mark. So really, in an 82-game season, how much does that affect you? Um, and, you know, obviously, we're, we're not all numbers here. We all watch the games. We know there's a lot more to the game than, than how many points somebody contributes. So Brower's a, a big guy who's going to be on the Blues' third line. Uh, you got to figure he's going to be paired uh, at some points with David Backus, who's also a big guy. Um, and if you can get Berglund back in the lineup, who's a big guy, as well as Dimitri Yaskin, who is key players to watch, if you ask me, in St. Louis, um, that's three big guys that are going to be paired together. So uh, that'll be one big third line that nobody's going to want to mess with. So that'll be nice. Uh, I think Broward's going to fit in great. We've also got Robbie Fabry. The young guy, they're, they're uh, basically already slated him into his nine-game tryout. They'll go from there. But with Berglund technically still on the roster, now with uh, Scott Gomez and Scotty Upchall signed to contracts, I don't see room for him this year unless they decide uh, to move on from Gomez or Upshaw and send him down, uh, which Upshaw's on a one-way contract and Gomez is on a two-way um, so there's a chance that we'll still see Fabry after nine games, but I could see them. Uh, I would say that he'll probably not be around come Christmas time at the latest. Uh, but overall, I mean, I like the look of the Blues. Losing Barrett Jackman, uh, a lot of people were sour on, but I think uh, they've got, if you look at their defense, I know we've already kind of mentioned it, uh, they brought in three super young guys uh, who are promising. Last year we saw Pateri Lindbaum 
come up, and, and he uh, basically provided the Blues what a very young Barrett Jackman provided them, and that's grit, toughness, and the ability to uh, find open teammates on stretch passes. And, you know, Jackman, no knock on him. He's just, you know, a little older, a little more wise, but uh, not really what the Blues need right now. They need some, some young infusion in the lineup, and that's what they're going to get on their blue line. Uh, they're going to have one of the, I think, one of the more promising defenses in the entire NHL, and uh, that's going to be the backbone of their team. How Alex Petrangelo is going to play, how Jay Bowmeister is going to bounce back from a pretty tough year. Can Carl Gunnarsson find his groove this year? We all know what Kevin Shattenkirk can do. So, really, uh, it starts there, and it, it filters out to a very promising forward group that uh, could easily be in the top five in goals by the end of the season. So the I, I was gonna I was gonna ask if Scotty Upshaw did make the he has a two way deal I think he did make the final roster you said yes he did and uh, they're slating for him to basically be in a third line fourth line role uh, from what I've seen uh, he'll probably fill in more for Steve Ott give him a couple days off as he plays a very gritty and rough game and obviously you get uh, you get bumped up pretty good when you play the game Steve Ott does yeah. I, I like his game. When he was with uh, Dallas, he killed he killed me with the Kings a bunch of times. Um, so, so you touched up on the youngsters a little bit. Uh, is is Jake Allen finally going to take the number one spot from Brian Elliott, or is it going to be a goaltender by committee again? Well, I'll tell you, uh, my dealings with Brian Elliott, as well as just watching the game, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I just I think that he he's one of those guys. And um, I think uh, Chris might be able to kind of agree with, with how Yaroslav Volak is treated in New York. Uh, it's kind of how Elliot is. He's, uh, he's a good goalie. He gets the job done. Maybe he has an off night here or there. But when you think about it, at the end of the day, he's a franchise leader in shutouts right now. He's um, just a, a great guy to have back, a great team guy. Uh, he was very supportive of Jake Allen when – Jake basically took over the number one spot at the end of the year last year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's I, I'm a big big supporter of Brian Elliott, and I believe in Jake Allen. I think uh, the Blues have done the right thing and letting these two kind of take the reins. And, uh, again, all year going to be fighting for that top spot, uh, barring injury, of course. Uh, but I, I do believe that at the end of the year the Blues are going to try to go with more of the veteran presence than that. And I do think – that we will see Brian Elliott as the Blues playoff starter. I guess you can count that as my prediction for the team. But uh, it would not at all surprise me if they went with Jake Allen again. He's a very capable guy. Uh, he's only going to progress as time goes on. I think he kind of learned a lesson last year in the playoffs. His Game 5 and Game 6 performance were not very strong. But, uh, you know, I, I think he would be the first to tell you that he has to get better. And uh, if he can admit that, that's we all know that's the first step to improving. So uh, he's he's one of those guys that takes every game to heart. So if he goes on a stretch and he goes wild, he sees what he's capable of. I think he could easily be the number one guy at the end of the year. I like I like Brian Elliott too. It seems like the Blues keep you know Jake Allen's only twenty five, so he's got a long way to grow. But uh, it seems like the the Blues just keep trying to get someone to take the net from him and he just keeps keeps grabbing a hold of it and not letting it go through his play and like you said his uh what he means to the team so i, I like brian elliott too you guys won the uh won the toughest division in hockey last year and 
unfortunately, for the third straight year, had a first-round playoff exit. What's, what is this year's group going to do differently, or who's the key people that are going to keep that from happening again? Well, I think um, there was a disconnect a little bit, and we talked a little bit about OC already, but I think the leadership group, um, and I'm not going to point figures completely at, at everyone that wears an A or a C, sure. but I think there was um, just a little bit of disconnect between them and the rest of the team, and and uh, I think it's not crazy to think that that's a part of the reason why Jackson and O.C. are gone. Uh, there, and, and also the fact that the Blues had four A's and a captain last year. This year they're going with two A's and a captain. So I think that they're trying to, to work with that leadership a little bit uh, because there was a little bit of a, a just a divide. And I think that uh, you're going to see guys, the guy for me to watch is, is going to be Paul Staffney. Uh, last year he was used more in a third-line role, and that's not who he is. He's not a third-line player. He's not the type of guy that you can stick out there with a 20-year-old who's still learning the ropes or, or a guy who's best known for his defensive skill. you got to get him out there with goal scorers because he's going to be able to set them up and that's exactly what the Blues are doing. Now, last year, the top line was the STL line, as we all called it, the uh, the uh, Schwartz, Tarasenko, and Latero line. And Latero and Tarasenko have great chemistry together, but uh, they're actually going to opt to go with Stastny, centering Steen and Tarasenko, which Steen and Tarasenko are by far the two blues, sorry, the two blues with the most offensive skill to give. So... Uh, Stastny, I think you're going to see another at least 60 to 70 point season from him again if, if this continues. Uh, Blues fans have been kind of sour on him, but I think they're going to learn to love him by the end of the year. And really, you know, you asked about what's going to kind of get them over the hump for the playoffs. Uh, to me, it's, it's what they're doing right now is perfect. I mean, they, they're bringing in these core, not core, but these, uh, these guys that can fill in roles like Troy Brower. And really, the key for me is the youth, is you're infusing this hunger and this, this need to want to make the team. Uh, last year, Dimitri Yaskin was called up uh, early in the season. He started the year in uh, the AHL. And you just saw something click with him. Like, it was about a third or fourth call-up, and he just all of a sudden started controlling the game when he was on the ice. And when he scored, it was like an Ovechkin celebration. Every <laughs> he just... You just saw the excitement in his eyes, and, and it, you really kind of saw him rejuvenate the team a little bit. And I think that that's kind of what we're going to see uh, more with these other young guys that are coming up. I mentioned him earlier, but Colton Pareko is an excitable young defenseman that's going to have a long career in the NHL. He'll probably be in the lineup tonight. you got Joel Edmondson, a guy who spent the last two years in the AHL. He's going to be ready to go. Um, and then first call up on defense is going to be the guy I've already mentioned, Terry Lindbaum. You infuse these young guys into this core of Blues players who've been around for a couple of years, it's going to remind them, and as, as silly as it sounds, it's going to remind them the love of the game and how exciting it is to be in the NHL and the need and the desire to be the best you can be. And I really think that by the end of the season, you're going to see a Blues team it's not crumbling like we've seen in the past. They're going to be fighting for more like we see from teams that win cups like Chicago and L.A. Chris, we're getting up against uh, up against the break here. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, I got two 
quick questions for Jeff, and that is on the Blues. Is the first one? Well, first of all, to me, I can make a very strong argument that this is the most balanced team in the league, the offensively, defensively, specialty team. But I, you know, we talked about the My first question is, uh, you know, the last number of years they've been a top team, but have really yet to break through in the playoffs. How much pressure? you think this team feels because of that, Jeff? And I guess the, and the second question I have is if they have another season that's a great regular season, first first round ouster, um, are we going to see a major makeover in St. Louis? I mean, I mean, obviously it could be a change in head coach. Uh, Doug Armstrong would get another GM job in a minute. I don't know what would happen with him. And I'm sure you're aware of, uh, uh, you know, that the Blues do have a number uh, over the next, one to two years between the end of this year and next, a lot of their core players who are either unrestricted free agents or restricted free agents. So if we have another season like that, could, could this team go over a, a major makeover? Well, yeah. First of all, I'll touch on your question about pressure. Um, you know, the Blues are one of the few teams in the NHL, as, as people love when I bring this up in St. Louis, to have never won a Stanley Cup. And, you know, they, they know that. The team knows that. The, the city is hungry for a Stanley Cup. And, you know, fans like to joke and say, well, at least we have the Cardinals winning us World Series. But really, I think that's more of a negative effect on the Blues because there is a team in the city that knows how to win and they know how to play their best games in the playoffs. And the Blues, let's just face it, don't have their best games in the playoffs. They they don't look like the same dominant team you see in the regular season. And it's it's definitely put pressure on them to be better. And uh, in, let's face too, social media has played a, a huge factor in that. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I'd go to school and tell my friends after the day the Blues lost, oh, they suck, they're done, I'm never going to root for this team again. Of course, things are different in October when that rolls around. But now... You don't just go to the schoolyard and tell your friends. You're going on Twitter. You're going on Facebook. You're tagging the Blues. You're tagging David Backus in your tweets. You're, you know, mentioning Dmitry Yaskin. You're saying Tarasenko is the only one that's worth a damn on this team. I mean, there's, it's just, it, they see it. They see it and they know it and it's, it, it affects them. And, you know, whether they admit it or not. So yeah, there's pressure. And getting into what you said about a makeover for this team. Armstrong and Hitchcock, if they don't get it done this year, they are both gone. And and I oh, you put me on record as saying that. I think so. Uh, Hitchcock has been it, – it, it, basically, when Armstrong hired Hitchcock, he said it's his team until he doesn't want it. And I think that is, he's going to stay true to that as long as he's GM. But the problem is he's not going to be the GM next year if his team bows out in the first round or doesn't make the playoffs. Uh, our owner, is uh, his name's Tom Stillman. He's a St. Louis native, grew up a giant Blues fan. He uh, kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, his name's escaping me in Buffalo, uh, Terry Pagula. There you go. He, he, very much, he very much wants to see this team succeed. He's said multiple times he's willing to do whatever it takes to make this team a cup winner. And I believe him. I mean, obviously he's in it for the profit, but I really believe he's in it to win a cup too. He's not just going to turn around and sell this team at the first better. So he's going to do what it takes. And if he believes that Armstrong's not getting the job done, that you know he's going to bring back his buddy Hitchcock, he's going to let them go. And, and at that time, you're going to bring in another GM who's going to want to give the team 
uh, you know, his look and what he wants from a team. So, yeah, there would be a shakeup because you're going to have guys like David Backus who are going to be hitting free agency, uh, even Jaden Schwartz, who I think they would still hold on to no matter what. But, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of guys that you're just going to have to let go if that happens. But uh, like you said, uh, Chris, I believe this is one of the most balanced teams the Blues have ever put on the ice. A lot of people are sour because they think they lost some skill in Oshie. But, uh, you know, yeah, you need skill, but you got to figure guys like Yaskin, Tarasenko, Stastny, they're, they're all still there, and they're all still great players. And now you got a guy in Troy Brower who's going to bring sandpaper to your third line, which I think is something they were slightly lacking. So I can, I can might tell be- you, too, from watching the Islander Capital Series last year, and I think bringing in Oshie and Williams to the Capitals are great moves, but they are going to miss Troy Brower and Joel Ward because those guys had really good playoffs. And yeah, they did. And were a big reason why the, the, the Islanders lost to them in seven, and if they had a little bit more puck luck, uh, they would have been a big reason why they, they got past the Rangers, which, quite honestly, I mean, this is not being anti-Ranger, but they were in position to win that series, to say the least. So, those guys were key contributors, and uh, I thought it was funny. People said, well, they traded, you know, they traded grit, uh, the, the capital traded grit for skill, and maybe Oshie being over there will, will score more, but it wasn't like he was playing with a bunch of ham and eggers on St. Louis, and Troy Brower actually outscored him last year. So I think Troy Brower is more of a complete player, honestly, and he's the kind of player that you want on your team in the playoffs, personally. I think so, too. Oh, I definitely agree. All right, well, Chris stole my last question about Hitchcock and the hot seat. So, uh, Jeff, thanks for coming in. We know you're up against the time here, and uh, we're going to let you go. you got any, anything else you want to say? I just want to say great job, and, and uh, I am one of the people that is rooting for a team in Vegas. So Thank those you. Of you listening, <laughs> those of you listening, hopefully you guys get your team. Um, I know you guys had, was it ECHL before? We had a ECHL team, Las Vegas Wranglers, for 15 years, okay. and, befo- and before that we had an IHL team uh, from 93 to 97. Both both franchises well, didn't. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I was, was just going to. Here's hoping for a, for a Blues and, I guess, Las Vegas Aces playoff series in the next couple of years. Yeah, actually, I had one last question for Jeff since touching on that is uh, – Jeff, do you feel confident in two years' time? Uh, will opening night will or, or the first set of opening night games will include Vegas and Quebec, or do you think it's still up in the air? I think it definitely will. Um, I know Kerry Bettman enjoys uh, playing the runaround with uh, the fans and, and even the media, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the price tag it costs to get an expansion team, as well as uh, you know, just the desire for them to. To, to move up to 32 teams seems like it's been there for a couple of years now. I do think that uh, you'll, you know, and in obvious Las Vegas and, and let's face it, Quebec City, both of them are always going to show support for hockey. I mean, the, the drive that Vegas has had for season tickets and all that. I mean, it's it, there's no way the NHL would would say, yeah, we're going to wait five six years for a team, or oh, it's going to take a while. No, they want they want to get a team if they could do it as early as next year. I think they would. It's just a matter of getting the building in place and, and uh, you know, making sure that uh, it's going to be a profitable thing if they can put it in next year. But I think I think within two years you'll definitely see it. 
had way way too much still to do. The original timeline was the 2016-17 season, but um, behind the, I guess I'll say behind the scenes chatter was that when Seattle's arena hit hit the political quagmire that it did, uh, they pushed the timeline back to 2017-18 to hopefully allow Seattle City Council to approve an arena deal, which has still yet to happen. So um, now that puts back generating, you know, you got to build up a minor league franchise at the same time you're trying to put together your NHL squad. You got to pick another city for for your your minor leagues and get all your scouting then there's too much to do now for the 2016-17 season but everything i hear is uh is las vegas is a go and i think we're going to be a great market i think so too you'll be a great tourist direction as well all right well jeff tell everybody where they can find you so you can find me on twitter at uh j ponder that's p-o-n-d-e-r nine four uh, you can also find me over at thehockeywriters.com with Chris. Um, great content over there if you've never checked us out. And uh, I've also been doing uh, joining in on my old podcast I used to run, now run by my good friend Kirk Price, uh, over at letsgoblues.com. Uh, it's called Let's Go Blues Radio, and uh, we've been recording about once a week. Uh, haven't been there every single week, but uh, try to make it there as much as I can. So check us out. We we welcome people to join our show live. We record live shows. So uh, if you're talking some blues or you can come on and just talk to NHL, we'd love to have you. All right. Sounds good. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. Great job today. And uh, this might be the most watched Edmonton Oilers game since 1985. So we're all looking forward to seeing them play tonight. I definitely agree with that. Well, uh, hopefully the, the Blues don't give me anything to hear about. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks again for coming in. Thanks, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Ponder and the inside St. Louis Blues scoop. Nice job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, I think he really uh, he has the most of what's going on over there. I was slightly, I guess it should be, I mean, you know, again, not living in the markets and you, know, you follow the teams, you know, you read their different articles, but you don't get the pulse. I know Doug Armstrong is very well thought of, and I, I do believe that, uh, uh, you know, like if, if for whatever reason, like St. Louis had a similar outcome, uh, not having playoff success, and he was like, oh, there'd be a whole, there'd be a bunch of franchises looking to hire him. But, you know, sometimes you just need to make a change. So I, would, I, I figure this was Hitchcock's, uh, he has to make it happen this year, but, um, uh, that was interesting to hear to for, for me in terms of uh, in terms of Armstrong because he has put together a really a really good talented roster, but um, it's a big year for them. I mean, it's a very big year. They have to me, Mark. They have to get to uh, at minimum the Western Conference Finals. I agree. I thought last year was going to be uh, Hitchcock's last year. It was up at the air at the end of the season. After that, um, but they got the vote of confidence and they get one more year. But I, I think. I mean, if it doesn't gel early in the season, I could see, and they're struggling, 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 which I don't think they will. I think they're going to come out of the guns blazing and take an early lead, possibly overall. Um, but if there is, a, I, don't, I don't know if Ken would last the season if they were languishing around the eighth, ninth, tenth spot in the conference, which I don't, I don't think anybody sees happening. But you know, I was going to ask him, and we ran out of time there that. Uh, you know, if you look at all the pundits and all the all the predictors and 
prognosticators. Uh, no one's picking St. Louis Blues and to come out of the West or contend to a Stanley Cup. So I think that probably takes some of the pressure off and maybe gives them a little chip on their shoulder once again. They do play a great brand of hockey. It's just kind of puzzling how they don't how they haven't been able to get out of the first round for three years in a row. It's uh, well, yeah, I, fair. I mean, again, I, you have to get you have to you know not every year you're gonna you know have a big playoff run, but but you know you have to have some. And uh, yeah, there are teams that they've had. But to be fair to them, it, it's not like the teams they've lost to. You said, well, they're clearly three times the team that they lost to. You know, I mean, they lost to really good teams. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, personally, do I think they, they were better than the Minnesota Wild last year? Yeah, they were. But the Minnesota Wild were a really good team. They I mean, were a buzzsaw uh, at that time. You know, they caught they yeah, caught Minnesota so, on that down that great hot streak they were on. But, but to be, again, to be fair, too, like, like Jeff said, they did not play at the level. They have not played at the same level in the playoffs. That they have, they had in the regular season. That's got to change. Know, so I think so. That makes it. You know, that that's the, really the, the point. It's it's one thing. Uh, I mean, trying to be impartial, looking at using uh, comparison, looking at the Islanders playoff series of Washington last year. I felt like the Islanders played, you know, high quality hockey in that series, like they did for mo- for the most part all of last year. Unfortunately, you know, they lost. You know, they lost a close series. I mean. Someone's going to win a, a series is very close. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Uh, with the Blues, it seems like that their standard of play has not been up to par. But this is going to be a big year for them. They have a lot. I mean, just to wrap up the Blues, just to let you know, and this is per cap friendly, um, after this year, David Backus, Troy Brower, this is the, just the big players, David Backus, Troy Brower, Paul Gunnarsson, um, are all unrestricted free agents. And uh, Jaden Schwartz is a restricted free agent, restricted free agent, so he's going to get a major bump up. And then after next season, um, Alexander Steen, Kirk, uh, Shattenkirk, uh, excuse me, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Brian Elliott are unrestricted free agents, and Jake Allen is a restricted free agent. So, I mean, the... <laughs> That is, uh, you know, so that's what we're saying about a possibility of a major makeover. They they have uh, uh, a lot of guys whose contracts are ending, and uh, so that's you know going to be something to watch. Yep. Well, I I think, I mean the the contract negotiations for Bacchus and the the guys uh, probably overshadowed by the Stamkos Kopitar negotiations that are ongoing and not. Uh, at least in the Stamkos case, not uh, not close. Apparently, Kopitar. It seems like they're probably going to get a deal done here. I'd say within a week, they're sitting down, they're oh, talking. Really? Oh yeah, last uh, the L.A. Kings insider John Rosen had a couple insights that the the two sides are getting closer, getting closer. They're at the table, they're grinding on it. Uh, Kopitar said, oh, we're going to get it done. No one needs to worry about it. It's going to happen. It's not, a, you know, it didn't happen before the regular season, but it's going to happen real soon. And then uh, watching the game last night, the whoever the announcers were uh, kind of said the same thing, was that they get the sense talking with the guys yesterday pregame was that everything's everything's getting closer to coming to a head. Um, 
and getting that deal done. But Stamkos, on the other hand, what have, what have you uh, heard about that situation? Yeah, that's an issue I just want to touch about in terms of trade rumors. And we all love trade rumors. We all love to read about about them, possibilities. But first of all, if you got to realize something, today's NHL salary cap, and most teams being you know more than half the league is literally almost up against the salary cap. It's not, it, it, it's, 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 it's not easy making a deal. Um, having said that, throwing all that out, you know, the, the lightning, because everyone, you know, the, the, there's a theory going on now, and I've heard this from uh, a lot of Islander articles dealing with Kyle Oposo, like, well, wait a minute, you have this guy who's a really good player, or even better than that, he, you know, he's, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Well, you can't just let him walk, right, and get nothing for him. Well, it depends where you are with your franchise. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, for this season, uh, have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Okay, so, uh, you know, Steven Samkos is, you know, one of the, uh, obviously, their biggest players. So, that trumps everything. Um, um, so, unless they can find a trade with another team that makes sense and makes them better or as good for now, and, you know, in terms of the future issue of him walking and leaving, that's one thing. But that's very doubtful. So at the end of the day, the Lightning are going uh, to make another run for, for the Cup, all right? And then they'll deal with, you know, and, you know, if Sam Stamkos is not signed, if at the end of the day he winds up walking and leaving, so be it. You're not going to get, you know, this, not all, it's not, you know, often that your team is got an excellent chance to win the Cup. Uh, uh, and at, at the end of the day, too, what people have to remember when someone's on their walk year for unrestricted free agency, you know, you, you're not going to get the store for that player. So because the other team still has to sign him. And they have to sign him literally like he's a free agent. So uh, we saw that this past year. I mean, look what um, Ryan O'Reilly got when he got traded to Buffalo. Um, you know, his him and his agent were all smiles because, they knew they gave up a lot of talent to get him. They had to sign him. So uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Santos. Uh, they've mentioned Oposo as well. Um, I've read a lot of Islander articles or people in the New York papers saying, well, you know, if he, the Islanders don't sign him, he's going to get traded. Again, same philosophy. I'm not saying that the Islanders are as big of a contender as the Lightning, but they are now a team. And at the end of the day, if they can't get a deal, that makes them as good, if not better. Um, he ain't going anywhere. I mean, uh, you know that you know people point back to a couple years ago when Garth Snow uh, traded for Thomas Manick and uh, or uh, used Manick. I go, yeah, he traded, for, but he he gave he he improved the team. He went from Matt Molson to Thomas Manick, you know, but uh, and gave up a couple. Actually, the, the bad part of that deal was the draft picks gave up that deal. So. You know, people point to well. You know, he, he you know, they weren't going to just let Matt Molson walk. You know, uh, yeah, but he improved the team. He added Thomas Vanek. Vanek was a better player than Oposo. So, um, you know, same thing in Winnipeg with Vlad and Buffalo. You're hearing a lot of rumors. Um, and again, Winnipeg has, has a talented team. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of stuck in between a bit, but um, they're not going to just blow up their season because uh, maybe blow up your, their season's too strong, but. They're not going to say, well, you know, the heck, you know, we're going to put the season aside because we can't just have someone walk away and uh, not get any assets for them. Yeah, it's, 
I was going to ask if it was a little too early in the season to be moving. Um, or do you think any of these teams would pull the trigger on something right away? Yeah, and again, looking at the Jets and the Islanders as an example, just going based on, I'm going to use Hockey Futures, excellent website for those who want to read up about uh, the upcoming draft prospects as well as all the prospects in hockey. Their spring rankings, they had Winnipeg with the best prospect pipeline in the sport, and they had the Islanders the second best. And that was before this past draft, where by all accounts, well, by many accounts, I should say, uh, people said that both organizations added even a plethora of more talent. So these are teams that are in position with a strong pipeline. You know what? I'm not going to trade on a poso or a lad for, you know, a prospect and a pick, you know, because uh, they can walk out the door and not get anything for them. I think in this age of the salary cap, the NHL salary cap, you know, uh, you got to realize that when a player leaves, you know, um, cap space is an asset. So, you know, at the end of the day, if these guys don't wind up returning, then so be it. Use that, use that money on, you know, there'll be other players in free agency or you can make a trade. But, you know, to me, the concept of a player walking out the door, oh, my God, was well, what are you going to get for Kyle Oposo on the last year of his deal coming off a bad eye injury? I mean, even if you can get... Uh, a second-round pick and a really great prospect. And, you know, the Islanders have prospects up the wazoo, as it is. It's a good, it's a good thing. But it's about it's about having uh, uh, an NHL team on the ice who uh, has big seasons at this point. No question about it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. After watching last night, uh, there's some kings that might be on the trade block if they don't turn their play around. <laughs> 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 well, it was a tough night for the home teams, right? They went over four. Yeah, I think they did. There was another five one. I think Vancouver got Calgary pretty good up up there too. So Yep, they did. Whew. Ah, we got we got the long way to go. A lot of hockey left, but there's a lot of work to do. Uh, we thought LA was gonna come out come out guns a blazing after missing the playoffs last year and, and kind of Jeff was was touching on the fact that the enthusiasm of youth can spark a core group and the kings did have a few young players make their roster and in fact nick shore scored their goal last night um he's the new third line center for jared stoll um there wasn't too much enthusiasm on the king's side of the of the ice last night i'll tell you what san jose came out outplayed outplayed him every step of the way um Anyway, that's my own personal deal there. Um, what else you got, Chris? And the last point I wanted to bring up was, uh, so we have, we have, at least for opening night rosters, and, and Jeff alluded to this too with Robbie Fabri, who was a top prospect in the sport, but he was part of the 2014 draft. So we had five players from the 2015 draft make the opening night rosters. Now you have that nine-game rule in effect. Obviously, we knew McDavid and Eichel were going to make uh, their teams are going to be on those Edmonton and Buffalo for the whole year. Noah Hamilton was kind of, I thought, going into training camp a 50-50 situation. He made the Hurricanes. Uh, this was a mild surprise, not the, but when you think about his size, Michael Ratman, uh, the Avalanche, uh, made the team. Which and I was, I was glad to see. He was, uh, 
he was one of the players I, I targeted uh, when we were doing our uh, draft preview issue as someone who who could come in and I thought make their club early on. If, if like yeah, I liked him for Columbus. If you remember, you know, I, I thought he would be a good fit for, for them. But that was pre all the trades that they made. And then finally, yep. Daniel Sprong, who was a mid round pick in the second round, made the Penguins. So wow, obviously, you know, these, these teams, uh, uh, you know, keep an eye. We have nothing to worry about in terms of McDavid and Eichel, but uh, in terms of the other three, uh, Hannafin, Ratton, and Sprong, you know. If they get past that nine-game mark, that means they can't be sent back to junior, and they're, they'll be here for the year. So right. I feel pretty confident Hannafin will be here for the year. You know, Ratton and Sprong will be interesting to watch, um, you know, where, where those teams – because, again, they don't want to have these players in limbo. You know what I mean? If, they're, if, uh, if they can't send them back to junior and they're not ready for the NHL, and then also you're wasting an, an entry-level year as well on the contract. So um, – you know, but it was, you know we had five, five guys make the team, and uh, you know we're, we're seeing more and more you know guys from the 2013 and 14 draft uh, making the team, like Kieran uh, on Long Island, Ryan Pulak, first round pick from the 2013 draft for the Islanders made the team. So uh, him and his 105 mile hour slap shot from the point. So Woo. hopefully that can help out their power play. Uh, uh, you know, uh, starting Friday night uh, when uh, they open up the new arena uh, or when they open up in Brooklyn, I should say, uh, against the Blackhawks. So, one guy that all that almost and I, and I, when we were when we were getting ready to do the Dallas Stars Florida Panthers show last week, uh, Lawson Kraus, by all accounts, was slated to make that Florida Panthers club, and I was surprised to see the last the last day of camp that he was actually cut and sent down. Um, I think it was a, a, when we had Matt on, and he went through the depth that they had of young forwards. I think what killed Kraus, and same thing with Barzell here with the Islanders. Uh, I think there was just no room at the end. I mean, the problem is with those guys is you want them to get. They need to get you know on, on one of the top three lines. So they're get, they're playing every night. You know, if not, I mean, they're not developing. And Barzell, like, I think blew everyone away on how good he was. The Islanders must be doing handstands now after they made that trade back in June. They, as much as they loved him then, I think they love him the more smitten with him even more. Uh, and if the Islanders would have had an injury to one of their forwards uh, on the first three lines, he, I, I do believe uh, he'd be on the team, at least to start the year and, and see what happens with that nine game. So I think both the cases of Barzell, who was a last last minute, he played in the last uh, exhibition game for the Islanders, and Kraus. I think it was. I, I think they did everything they could to make the teams, and under different circumstances, they would. But I think they just ran up against the numbers problem. Well, sp- speaking of Matthew Barzell, he was uh, he was hurt last year, and we were, we were doing a show with uh, Seattle Sinbin host Paul Rogers and Otto. Rogers, the co-host there, said uh, that going into not last season but the season before, that Matthew Bartzall was was touted as who was going to be a better long-term prospect uh, between him and Eichel and McDavid. He was thought of that highly in the Pacific Northwest, at least. He was playing on the Seattle Thunderbirds. So um, you were saying surprisingly surprised and opened up a lot of eyes there in New York, and I think he's going to be a good player for you guys. Just talking with Paul and 
Paul and Otto there, maybe not this year, maybe middle of the year, but uh, yeah, he's you guys you guys got a good deal when you got Matthew Barzal. Oh, I think this. I think as long as he stays healthy, uh, doesn't have any injury concerns this year. Uh, I think there's an excellent chance that he's on the he makes the team opening night next year. Um, yeah, I remember he was only 18, but uh, he really, uh, he, you know, there, there was a reason. You know, they kept sending people down back to junior or for the Bridgeport, but it wasn't him. And um, uh, they also have Michael Del Cole coming, and I, I think both of those guys, they, it's a, uh, again, it's a good problem to have. You know, the Allen is going to have to find, uh, you know, minutes and spots for these guys. But, uh, you know, it was one of the articles, an articles I wrote at the Hockey Writers uh, that, the arrival of Barzil uh, is probably going to mean the departure of either Oposo or Nielsen or maybe both. Um, so it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, moving forward. But, yeah, no, I, I remember the Islanders felt that they got a top uh, – they kind of hinted that he was in their top five on their board for this draft, which is saying something, and they were able to get him at 16. Yeah, we go go back. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled him up. Uh, 51 games in the what's it for the Burnaby Winter Club? It looks like the Pacific Coast Ball Hockey League. So take that for what it's worth. He had 153 points in 50 games, and then uh, what did he do? 103 points in 34 games, and then playing rookie year with Seattle, 59 games, 54 points. So he's He's been a scorer, but he he could put on a little weight, six foot one seventy eight. So, give, give him a year, yeah, put on I mean, ten yeah. fifteen pounds. He's gonna he's gonna be right there, first line right winger, or first line yeah, center. Yeah, no, I, I I mean uh, not to sound like a homer, but I mean the Islanders do have two kids in Del Colin Barzal. I mean you think about this roster, how talented it is, how young it is, but they have two guys, two kids, who I think in their sleep are going to be core players for them. The question for me regarding them going forward is, will they turn out to be elite players? Um, I don't know if they will. That's a big, that's a, that's a big standard, you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, I feel I feel extremely confident in their sleep they will be core players for this franchise, which is saying something. I mean, you have a, a top six forward. I mean, those guys don't go grow on trees. So, um, yeah, no, uh, you know, so... It will be interesting to follow the, the track of those five players. Uh, I don't know how much Daniel Strong was, is going to play, and be, I don't know if he'll be able to last past the nine games with all, you know, with all the forwards that Pittsburgh has. And development is a very key thing. But it will be interesting, uh, especially for the four guys who went in the, in the uh, top ten, uh, you know, or more so really Hannafin and Randon, the forgotten guys, if you will, of, uh, who made a, made a sport this year. Well, since we're talking youngsters, uh, last year's AHL MVP, Brian O'Neill, not only didn't make the club there with the the Kings, but I believe he was their leading scorer, too, in the AHL last year. I could be wrong about that part of it. Traded. Gone to New Jersey. I was kind of hoping as the spots that were open, um, and I think the injuries, Dwight King went on IR Right uh, from the from the Frozen Fury game Saturday night and broke I think he broke his foot uh, blocking a puck. He uh, that that kind of changed the dynamics there. So instead of losing him to waivers, they got a seventh round pick for him. Uh, thought thought that AHL MVP would garner 
a little bit more than a seventh round pick, but that seems like it's a little chink in the Kings developmental armor, if you will. But they did have uh, Jordan Wheel made the club. Derek Forbort made the club. Big defenseman who's taken a while to develop, but now it seems like he might at least be, he's at least the eighth defenseman. Um, and maybe, maybe. I got one. Go ahead. I got one last question for you, and maybe you can tell, well, give a little scouting report for all the Islander fans out here. So what can you tell us about uh, goalie J.F. Barubi, who the Islanders uh, picked up off of waivers just for protection, uh, just in case, uh, you know, Halak got hurt during training camp. It sounds like he'll be fine, uh, but they did not want to go into a situation where they were asking a kid who only had about five games in the AHL to be a backup if they needed to be. What can you tell us about uh, J.F. Barubi's game uh, uh, for the Islanders picking him up off the waivers from the Kings? Well, I'll tell you, he's come through the same pipeline that uh, produced Jonathan Quick, Jonathan Bernier, Martin Jones. Uh, solid positionally, uh, you know, they won the they won the Calder Cup in Manchester last year. Um, I'm look. I pulled him up real quick. Two point one goals against, thirty seven nine and four. He did, I believe, got hurt in the playoffs, and and uh, his backup had to play a few games. But you got someone who's probably going to play in the National Hockey League at some point, in my opinion. Um, 6'1", 180. He's not, he's not a small guy. He's kind of average nowadays for goalies. You don't have a 6'6 six six guy in net. But um, backstopped the team to a championship, and he's come through that same – goalie player development that produced uh, if martin jones plays like he did last night he's gonna who knows what his what you know what his ceiling's gonna be but uh with going out and signing in roth one of the things daryl sutter he doesn't like young young players um he he so they got they got Jonas in roth as the backup and they knew that they were taking a chance on having to put him on on waivers to send him back down for another year in Manchester. Um, I, I think you guys did very well claiming him, is my opinion. And I think he's, you know, I, I don't know how how your goalie pipeline looks, but watch for him. Watch for him. I, he's not on your roster, right? He's he's in your AHL club. Uh, as of now, he's on the main roster. Is he? Well. Mm-hmm. Um, Watch for him. Watch for him to play. He's a good player. He's he's you know, he's same same side to side burst. Maybe not as much. I mean that's what Quick's known for is coming out, playing aggressively, getting side to side, post to post quickly. Covers the bottom of the ice really well. You know same same fundamentals that created Bernier, Martin Jones, and Jonathan Quick. He's got them for sure. So I think you guys. Well, the are Islanders are going to, just to clarify that the Islanders are going to for their to start the season. On their 23-man roster, they're carrying three goalies. So they're carrying Halak, Thomas Bryce, and Barubi. So Halak might uh, need a week. They've been very cryptic, like all NHL teams, in terms of uh, his injuries. He might be in there opening night. So I think it's just protection because their number one netminder, uh, Stephen Williams, uh, who they're very high on uh, in the AHL, he, uh, he just finished college hockey, 
uh, last year. In fact, he only has five AHL games under his belt. So if they didn't pick up Ruby, he would be the backup to Price to start the season. So I think they just wanted uh, that little protection. So the Islanders are actually going with um, 13 forwards and seven defensemen and three goalies. So they're, most teams usually go 14, 7, and 2. So they're going with one less forward in terms of their uh, – you know, active roster to start the season. Right, Kings. Kings went thirteen eight and two because of the injuries, but um, no, you guys got a great prospect. I think that's. Yeah, well, I don't know how much they're going to be able to um, to keep him. To be honest with you, in fact, I read uh, uh, Arthur Staple, who uh, writes for New York Newsday, who's like the Islander uh, writer of mainstream around here. He tweeted out jokingly, "This might wind up being uh, a loan." Because uh, I guess the way the system works, if the Islanders were to waive him, let's say a month from now, uh, the Kings would get the first in line to claim him back. So uh, this could wind up just being a loan, you know, kind of situation. Well, out of all the young players and and journeymen that were put on waivers, those rosters got cut down. Only three players got picked up, and he was one of them. So he's got he's got value if you guys keep him around and let him run run in, in your AHL and then. You know, maybe next year. Well, I also, open to remember they lo- they lost Kevin Poolin to the Lightning. He was playing off waivers because the injury to their young back, uh, young second goalie. I don't even want to call him a backup, but he's a very talented kid. So uh, that also opened up room for the kid. His name is escaping me. That they got in the Grabner trade uh, to play in for Bridgeport. So now they have him and Steve, uh, Stephon, uh, Steve Williams and Bridgeport. So anyway. Yeah, all right, man. I'm. Uh, let's cut this down, and, and and we'll get it produced and up online for everybody. Uh, once again, Chris Litza, the Hockey Writers, and KidRealHockey.com. If you're into the Islanders or general NHL talk, check him out on his site. So you can follow him on Twitter at the NL King, and you know where to find us. We're at Vegas Hockey Pod on Twitter, or you could email the show uh, Mark Warner at VegasHockeyPodcast.com and check out our blog. We need to get some more content up on that because it's it, it's been a while. I took the summer off on my writing as I was doing a couple other things, but I'll get back onto it now that the season. So check check out VegasHockeyPodcast.com. And we'll be back again next week. We're gone.